You're listening to Young African Entrepreneur, Episode 21. Welcome to Young African Entrepreneur, the leading resource for starting and growing a business for flourishing entrepreneurs in Sub-Saharan Africa. Join in as we discuss tactical advice, personal motivators, and unexpected surprises for industry leaders and market professionals as they chart their own path to success. It's your time, your journey, your Africa. So please welcome your host, Victoria Crandall. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Young African Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Victoria Crandall. Today's guest is Addis Elamayu, the founder of 251 Communications, Ethiopia's leading communications and branding company. He's also the co-founder of Kana TV, Ethiopia's first TV station to dub international content into Amharic. You can connect with him at Addis A-L-E on Twitter. Born in Ethiopia, Addis left when he was a child after the socialist derg came to power. He grew up in Kenya and later moved to the U.S. and Canada for his university studies and work. But he always felt restless and out of place in North America. He itched to be where people wouldn't ask him anymore, where are you from? Against all advice, he moved to Addis Ababa in 2000. And after working for USAID for many years, he launched 251 Communications in 2011. The World Bank, Coca-Cola, and the Gates Foundation are just some of his clients. You're like a kid in a candy store when it comes to business in Ethiopia, says Addis. And just like that proverbial kid, surrounded by candy, he couldn't resist the allure of getting into broadcasting. In 2016, he and his co-founders launched Kana TV, which took Ethiopia by storm. Shortly after its launch, Kana TV established itself as a leader in broadcasting. We chatted about how Addis comes up with his business ideas, why spending too much time on research is a bad idea, and why he's scared of the Kenyans. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Young African Entrepreneur on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Addis Elamayu. Addis, welcome to Young African Entrepreneur. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So these are historic times in Ethiopia. It's been incredible to watch history being made as Ethiopia makes peace with Eritrea. And I'd love to know, what is the mood like in Addis Ababa these days? You know, a little bit of shock and awe and, you know, I don't know if there's a word in the dictionary to describe, you know, what we're feeling, but, you know, very positive about the future and, and you know, everybody wants to play their part as much as they can. It's fairly, fairly exciting. Yeah, no, it's been incredible to watch history being made. It's just really amazing. And... So, Addis, you spent your childhood and teenage years living in several countries. You were born in Ethiopia. You spent your childhood years in Kenya. You went to high school in the U.S. before immigrating to Canada at the age of 18. So how did these experiences shape you? I think first and foremost, I mean, I'm comfortable 
with people regardless of culture, background. I think that's, you know, the number one thing. When you're raised in an environment that's away from home and, you know, you basically have to adapt at a very early age to get along with people from different races and sort of different cultures. So I think that's been a very, you know, it wasn't at that time, but as, you know, as a child, you, I always ask myself where I'm from, you know, people always ask you where you're from, that kind of thing. But, you know, for me, looking back at it, it's, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have that experience. And in hindsight, what did living in Kenya at such an age teach you? At a very young age, I mean, people are the same everywhere. We all have the same needs, the same wants. It also, I think, opened up my mind to, you know, different possibilities because we always came back every year or every two years to Ethiopia. So it just, you know, opened up your, the world at a very young age, which is, you know, this was before the internet, before Facebook. So the only way to experience the rest of the world was actually to be there. And you spent many years working in development, uh, notably for USAID before you opened 251 Communications in 2011. And why did you want to switch from the public sector to running your own business? To be honest with you, I think my experience at USAID was what I needed to do to be able to understand how the country functions, you know, how the government functions, what the key challenges are, what the opportunities are. Because when I came to Ethiopia, you know, the policy wasn't there for private sector. It wasn't that conductive. Our growth wasn't that much. You know, we started growing double digits, I think, post-2005. So for me, those five or six years working for USAID was almost sort of Ethiopia 101 in terms of private sector potential. And then after a while, you realize... You know, you can't keep doing this forever. You actually have to be part of the action. And what year did you come back? I came back in 2001. Okay. And what were the circumstances behind wanting to come back to Ethiopia? I got tired of people asking me where you're from. Yeah. I mean, for me, in a nutshell, that's how I explain it. I just never felt at home. I didn't feel like realized my full potential where I was. And I just could not, you know, see myself growing and trying new things and being adventurous. I think in a certain way, North America, at least for me, sort of confined me in a certain sort of corner and I wanted more. And so what is it that you do at 251 Communications? So 251 is a, you know, an integrated 360 advertising, branding and consulting agency. So we basically work with a lot of the multinationals as well as donors, World Bank, the Gates Foundation, Coca-Cola, Emirates, so forth and so on. In regards to their branding and communications needs, whether it's PR, media buying, strategy, branding, and a bit of, you know, government relations as well. In regards to Ethiopia 101, a little bit of handholding, briefing on, you know, current opportunities, challenges, so forth and so on. Mm. And walk us through a typical day at 251 Communications. Um, you know, it's, Is there a typical day? <laughs> there's no typical day in Ethiopia, right. to be honest with you. Yeah. And I'd say a lot of the fun is exactly that because no two days are the same. So, you know, every day brings its own challenges, its own opportunities. And at the end of the day, you just have to, you know, get enough energy to do it all over again the next day. So, and, you know, usually starts off with a briefing with my key management team in terms of, well, you know, things to do for the day, some of the outstanding issues in terms of clients, maybe the opportunities going forward, you know, going over the, the previous day's plans and what was done and what wasn't done. And then the rest of the time, I actually spend a lot of my time on business development and sort of client service night, just, you know, networking and all of that. I have a great operations team on the ground that actually handles the day-to-day and sort of, you know, the productivity side of it. And what are you working on right now that excites you? 
we tried to do sort of a real estate expo a couple of years back in Washington, D.C., but due to the political climate, we had to cancel the event. And so we're doing the first sort of real estate expo, home expo in Ethiopia. We're planning it for late September, early October in Washington, D.C., and then we're doing a mini one here in Addis as well. So for me, I always like to do something new, something that's never been done, at least in the country. And so that's my new baby. And then we have a new brand that just came out in South Africa about three months ago called Arada Mobile. There's about half a billion, close to 500,000 Ethiopians, migrants in South Africa. So it's a mobile platform, a card that basically has features for them in partnership with Vodacom. And so we've just launched that. We have about 4,000 clients and we're building that up fairly quickly. So those are sort of my two new babies. Well, and to go back to the real estate expo, is this encouraging Ethiopians in the U.S. to invest in real estate in Ethiopia? What is, can you give us some more details? I mean, the whole idea came from, you know, friends and family asking me to, you know, find out information in regards to what the opportunities are in real estate. People want to buy real estate, but they really don't know where to start. And so I found myself going to five, six, ten different, you know, real estate uh, developers and realized that a lot of people, you know, are inquiring the same thing. So the idea was to bring all of the real estate developers as well as anything to do with home care, you know, kitchenware, construction, paint, all of that under one roof so people can go there and meet everybody and get the information that they need. So almost everything that I do always starts with a problem and finding a solution to that problem. Hmm. And I mean, isn't there a huge real estate boom in Addis Ababa right now? There's a huge boom, but there's also, I mean, the demand is, you know, tremendous. You know, you have a rising middle class, you have a very young population. So the demands, both from the diaspora and from within, is uh, I don't think we've scratched the surface when it comes to, you know, real estate development. Mm. And I'd love to know, what's an example of an ad campaign that you developed for an international company that was tailored for the Ethiopian market? That's a good question. I mean, we've done so much work over the course of the last six years. You know, the one that I'd be proud of would be the one we did for Ghana TV when we first launched Ghana TV. Just everything from the name to the brand to the tagline. It took the country by storm where people actually took the tagline and adopted it into their own sort of uh, different phrases. So um, the one that I'd be most proud of would be you know, Ghana TV. You know, we came up with a slogan for the Girl Effect project called that DFID was funding called Yenya. Uh, and we've done, you know, quite a number of work that we're very proud of at 251. The new branding for the Ethiopia Tourism was done at 251. So there's been a few iconic sort of works that have come out of 251 that we're very proud of. Another campaign that we worked on was with the Agriculture Transformation Agency where we helped them amplify an IVR technology platform to farmers in the rural areas. So basically for farmers to call a number and get farming advice from a computer which we thought would be a challenge, but it was a very successful campaign and that they're still, they're still doing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's so very diverse what you're doing. Yeah, so what was the branding for the Tourism Board? The Tourism Board was, I mean, the Ethiopian Tourism Board wanted a new logo and a new brand because we've had the same one, I think, for the last 50 years or so. So we were, our creative team came up with a very unique logo, which uh, you know, I'm happy to forward it to you, but it was basically Ethiopia written in Amharic, but in a way that sort of highlighted our unique cultural heritage and so forth, but uniquely Ethiopian, but also international in every regard. So it's great when you see your work, you know, plastered out both locally and internationally. 
Mm. Yeah, and Ethiopia has so much potential for its tourism. It's, I mean, such they a diverse country. And, yeah, and so beautiful. Yeah, you're right. The surface hasn't even been scratched. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, and that would be another source of foreign exchange, which, of course, is a, quite a tricky situation in Ethiopia right now. So, um, Beyond tricky, it's critical. Yeah. So, I mean, what's really going on in that front? You know, we actually buy more than what we sell in a nutshell. So if Ethiopia was a business, we'd be bankrupt in the sense that we actually consume more than what we export. So our hard currency needs are much more than what we're able to, to export. And that's become a critical problem. And the fact that we have some loans that are due for the various infrastructure projects that we've worked on for the last eight or 10 years. And so the hard currency hasn't caught up with our demand for it. So that sort of become a critical, critical issue at the moment. Right. Classic trade deficit. Exactly. Well, and I want to dive into more detail on what you touched about earlier on Kano TV, because not only you've said before, you know, that you're the communications guy in Ethiopia. So not only are you the communication guy in Ethiopia, but you're also a first mover in entertainment. And with several other co-founders, you founded Kana TV in 2016. It's the first privately held TV station in Ethiopia, dubbing international entertainment content into Amharic. And I'd love to know about the early beginnings of Kana TV. What was the conversation like between you and your co-founders about setting up the company? Essentially, I mean, the early moves were me trying to, you know, figure out the original idea was I wanted to start a, the MTV version of Ethiopia. So initially I went out to South Africa and, and met with MTV to give wisdom to work with me and start a channel called MTV Ethiopia. And given that, you know, we have 100 million people, the average age is 17, da da da, so forth and so on. But they convinced me that their production cost would never be able to be covered by, you know, local advertising rate, which, you know, to be honest with you, was right. And But encouraged me to sort of go out and do it on my own. And so that's when I had a beer with my partner Elias in regards to doing the same thing. And then we did a bit of research for about three months. And, you know, the research came back to us saying that, you know, the country and the population was in dire need of an entertainment channel in Amharic. And then during that process, we met with uh, Movi Group, who we managed to convince to take a chance uh, in Ethiopia. And then the rest is, you know, as they say, history. Because what was the TV landscape like in Ethiopia before Kano TV came on the scene? There was the national TV operator, obviously, and then there was one other TV station called EBS that was private that was, you know, doing fairly well. But obviously the demand for 100 million people was, you know, far greater than what was available on the ground. But also we realized that a lot of people were watching the same content, but they were watching in a language that they didn't understand, which was Arab Arabic. You know, most everybody that has a TV has a satellite dish. And they pull ArabSat, which has, you know, I don't know, 150, 200 channels that are in Arabic, maybe another 10 or 12 in English. And then we had, at that time, I think the national TV operator and both EBS were on it. So it was just a matter of time before people started coming up with different concepts to offer the, you know, the population. And who's the Moby Group? Moby Group is amazing guys who basically, you know, when I look at them, I see myself and sort of the vision and the way they've sort of built their business. There are two Afghani brothers that grew up in Australia, went back to Afghanistan, started a radio, the first FM station, started an advertising agency and then started a TV station and then expanded into, you know, other regions with the same concepts. So, you know, it's sort of, if you ask me when I grow up, I want to be Moby Group kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like a, a perfect partner. 
manner and, and really mirrors kind of your own story. You know, for me, it's very simple. In everything you do, you can have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have the right partners and the right backers and people that will take the same risk with you and, and sort of see your vision and it, you know, move forward. And for the movie group and the guys, I mean, their first visit to Ethiopia, they sort of, they got it. They, you know, it's not every day that people come to Ethiopia and say, you know, I'm going to do this. For these guys, you know, it was a slump dunk. They saw the potential, you know, they saw the vision and they were willing to invest in it. So it was, you know, it was a positive move for all of us. Well, and Kana, TV has been a, a wild success in Ethiopia since almost the very beginning. What is more or less its market share now? It's different from month to month, but I think we're at around, you know, the 38, 43% margin at the moment. Wow, uh, we're doing very well in certain sectors of society. Obviously, not any one station can be everything for everybody. Yeah, well, which sectors uh, of society are doing so well? You know, especially with women and young people, obviously, in different parts for different programs, obviously, the different content that we put out has, you know, different viewerships. But our original sort of dubbed content is still very much in demand. Uh, most people are still, you know, I don't want to use the word addicted, but, you know, people love drama and Ethiopians are no different. Mm, right. Are there lots of, what would you say, like telenovelas or Turkish soap operas? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And those things there are, you know, you watch 10 minutes of that and you get addicted. So, yeah. Yeah, they're universally loved in almost any place you go. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, you know, we pride ourselves on Ethiopia being different and the country's different and culturally so forth and so on. But at the same time, I find human beings are one and the same. You know, there's certain sort of certain things that make us human and drama and soap operas, I think, are something that yes. makes all of <laughs> No, I agree. Yeah. And, and so what are the plans for the next five years for Kana TV? You know, obviously more local content, but local content that's relevant, local content that enlightening, local content that is empowering. Essentially, we have a very young population. So, you know, we want to play our role in becoming the positive change that Ethiopia is going through, focusing more on, you know, giving people an opportunity to see, you know, successful Ethiopians that are not necessarily runners or musicians, but, you know, everyday Ethiopians that are doing amazing stuff in the country so that other kids can look at them and say, you know what, I can do this. For us, I mean, we have a, a responsibility to the country and to our audience to not only entertain, but inform and empower. So, you know, that's sort of the role that we want to play. And that's that's the target that we're focusing on now. Oh, totally. Are you producing original content or just dubbing right now? We already have original content. We have, you know, a very short version of the news that comes out daily. We have, you know, sort of a weekly show called Hashtag Time that, you know, that features what's going on in Addis around the country, sort of like, you know, gives you a snippet of what's happening. So we have it. We have another show that features innovators that are doing amazing stuff like, you know, young people, photographers, you know, chefs, artists, you know, business people that are doing amazing stuff in the country. And then, you know, there's a few more shows that we're working on that I can't really speak about, but that are going to sort of transform sort of the media landscape in the country. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. Well, it'd be great if you did like an Ethiopian style Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few shows that are like that already around. Really? Okay. I, I think, yeah. I think for us, we want to find a niche that we're comfortable with that's already not covered by someone, some other station or some other media. So, yeah, I think we have, you know, with quite a few interesting options for people that will keep them interested and glued. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to know when you're exploring a new project or you want to get, yeah, when you're looking to start something new, what is your approach? 
My approach is very simple. I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, I go with my gut more than ever. I mean, one of the big issues that we had with Elias when we first talked about doing a TV show is he wanted to do research. And I was like, dude, I mean, there's only two TV stations. There's 100 million people. This is going to work. But we still went with the research and research came back, you know, confirming exactly what I've been telling him. And I still tease him about it. But in a nutshell, for me, I see problems everywhere. And then it's one advice that I give a lot of folks coming back to Ethiopia. I always tell them, you know, carry a notepad for about three weeks and every time you see a service or a product that's not available or a problem or an issue just write it down I'll tell them in about three weeks you'll have 30 or 40 business ideas because at the end of the day for me a business is you know finding a solution to a problem and charging money for it right yeah so you really prioritize action above kind of over analyzing doing yeah Almost using market research as an excuse to not get started. Exactly. I'm, I'm a keen observer of everything around me. I'm a keen observer of people and I love to engage with all sorts of people and, and hear what they have to say. And I always ask them, the first thing I always ask is what, you know, what are your biggest problems? And because that always gives me ideas about, you know, the business. Oh, that's great. And so practical. And what other advice do you give young Ethiopians who are coming back, you know, maybe Ethiopians from the diaspora? that are coming back and want to set up a business, what do you tell them? Um, for me, the first thing is observe. You know, leave whatever you've learned in North America. You can't compare, you know, Ethiopia to, you know, Washington, D.C. or L.A. or London or whatever it is. It is what it is. So the first thing is to observe and to learn as much as you can. Don't just jump in, into any business that you see because at the end of the day, there's so many opportunities in this country and people tend to get carried away trying to do everything. So I always tell them, you know, spend time figuring out exactly which one business you're going to start. Focus all your energy on that. Uh, get that up and running. And then in a few years when that's running smooth, then you can, you know, always look at other options and other businesses that you can get into. But the biggest problem a lot of people face is there's just so many opportunities. They tend to sort of try to stretch themselves and end up doing nothing. Oh gosh, I can so relate to that on a personal level. It's like, yeah, I love to start a new project just because I love, yeah, kind of getting my hands dirty and like the idea of starting something new. And then, like you said, you're kind of scattered and you can't, really devote your energies just to growing one thing. So that's great advice. You're like a kid in a candy store when, when it comes to Addis and Ethiopia in terms of business. So Yeah, because you know, it's, I mean... There's just so much demand and need. Well, exactly. And there's so much pent-up demand and for almost everything, it seems. Yep. And I'd love to know what has been your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? My biggest failure was spending the first two years of my time in Ethiopia trying to start a telecom company and not realizing that it wasn't possible because the Ethiopian culture is nobody would tell you you can't do it. So I spent quite a bit of time and resource focusing just on that until a very good friend of my father sat me down and basically, you know, taught me a lesson, a very lifelong lesson that I still use to this day in the sense that in a country like Ethiopia, you just can't focus on something major that, you know, hasn't been decided by government in terms of policy or so forth. And, and so you need to sort of spend your energy somewhere else and come back to it at a later time. Otherwise, you're going to get frustrated and leave. And, you know, I've seen a quite a number of people face similar issues that give it the same advice to. Yeah, I think that was it. I was probably spent 18 months to two years of my life going after something that is only maybe opening up now. So imagine if I spent 18 years just focusing on it. Wow. Yeah. No, I was just reading a great analysis of ETHOTEL that was in the the Africa report and yeah, how it could, well, no, it seems like a part of it will be privatized by the new government and 
yeah, it's like it has the largest subscriber base in all of Africa because it's a monopoly and Ethiopia is a hundred million people. <laughs> so it's a huge sleeping giant. And then of course, like if you look at Kenya and I mean, elsewhere on the continent, everything that you can do developing a mobile first solution from fintech to, yeah, to digital healthcare. It's amazing. I think if the environment had allowed us to be, we have some of the most innovative young people that you can find anywhere else. Very smart, very focused, know what they want and need and have a clear understanding of what solutions are needed for specifically for this country. It's just that the policy framework and the infrastructure hasn't kept up with what they're able to do as well. We're hoping that on that end, that will change and you definitely see Ethiopia transform. I mean, everybody talks about Kenya as sort of a, you know, innovation hub in Africa. I mean, when Ethiopia wakes up, you have no idea what's coming out of this country. I am so optimistic. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think Ethiopia is just the just, sleeping giant. I mean... Don't tell the Kenyans on me, please. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I mean, it was funny. It's like when I interview Kenyans for the show, almost two out of three of past guests have said, no, they go to Ethiopia because it's just, I mean, I think not only is there an allure for its culture and like you said, like really how unique Ethiopians are and just so proud of, and for very good reason of their history and culture, but just, yeah, the immense potential that the country has. Yeah, I mean, the Kenyans get it more than anyone. I was just there this week. And since I grew up there, so it's sort of like my second home. And, you know, I tell everybody when Ethiopia opens up, I'm only scared of the Kenyans because they are some of the most innovative, smart, aggressive people that I know. And they understand exactly where Ethiopia is because Ethiopia is exactly where Kenya was some 20, 25 years ago. And then they know exactly what needs to happen and they've done it. They've done it in their market. So I am not scared of Chinese investors or Indian or you know, American or Turkish in terms of competition. I'm worried about the Kenyans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, has there been any talk of Safaricom investing in Ethiopia? Or is that just a, a rumor? Well, I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, everybody and their mother is going to come to Ethiopia for this. And Safaricom, Vodafone, MTN, and Airtel being the biggest players in Africa. Obviously, they're, you know, they have to come. And this is probably the last market in the world that has 100 million plus people and one monopoly. There's no market like this left in the world. No, that's so true. Yeah. No, so it's just, it's going to be, yeah, it'll be kind of a fight of the, yeah, whoever makes the best offer, you know, it's a strategic partner. It's going to be a very interesting sort of drama, better than Kana TV for this one, I guess. <laughs> well, no, and seriously, it's just for the last couple of months, what's kind of, What's been going on in Ethiopia, it's just been fascinating and just, yeah, I'm like so optimistic and, and just the example of leadership, of courageous leadership is really inspiring. So what do you wish you had known before you launched your own business? Raise money before you start a business. Because uh, a business idea without resources, you know, it's complicated, it's hard. It's And number two, starting a business not for everybody because sometimes I look at my friends who have, you know, really good, steady NGO, you know, executive jobs with multinationals. Just, you know, life is much easier because, you know, you don't have to meet payroll, you don't have to meet rent, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about all of the things that entrepreneurs worry about on a daily basis. So, I mean, being an entrepreneur is, you know, less time with family, less time with friends, more time stressed. You know, it's uh, everybody sees the sort of the fun part where, you know, you're your own boss. You could bring your kids to work and you can leave whenever you want or all of those things that comes with being your own boss. 
But, the, you know, the other flip side is that, you know, you stay up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning worrying about payroll and cash flow and all of those things that everybody else has a salary doesn't have to worry about. Mm. Well, and what did you do in those early days to kind of keep the lights on if you didn't fundraise before you started? Friends and family. I hit up everybody I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If I was to name the people that supported me, from my sister Mimi to, you know, friend Teddy to, I mean, like, you have no idea. I hit everybody and anybody. How many years were you into your business before you felt like it was like you were really standing on your own two feet? I was lucky before we hit the second year, you know, we were doing pretty well. But then, you know, there's times when clients don't pay you for, you know, 60 days, 90 days. And, you know, you're out a couple of million, uh, you know, doing something for them. And so it was hard. I mean, cash flow is always hard, especially in an environment like Ethiopia, where, you know, you can't borrow money from the bank unless you have collateral. So unless you have a $5 million collateral, you can't borrow, you know, $2 million, whatever it is. So that is sort of the biggest hurdle. I mean, if it was anywhere else, like, if I was in Kenya and I had a client that, you know, signed a $100 million or a $100,000 contract, I could go to the bank and get funding to do that work. Whereas in Ethiopia, there's friends and family that support you in times like that. Wow. Okay. So what was the worst advice you've ever gotten as an entrepreneur in Ethiopia? Or and when I say worst, I mean, in a sense, misguided that someone gave you advice that just didn't reflect at all the reality of a market like Ethiopia. You know what? To be honest with you, I really can't say this or that on this one because for me, like I said earlier, I always listen to my gut instinct first and foremost. If I met a challenge, you know, I had a couple of mentors that I talked to. And to be honest, nobody's given me anything that hasn't had value to my life or to my business or to my bottom line. I have some really amazing people around me, some really good friends and family and elders that, you know, I want to see the best for me and my family. So I've been blessed in that department. And who is one of your most influential? mentors? I would say, you know, Gurma Wake, who's, you know, this former CEO of Ethiopian Airlines. He's somebody that I look up to. That's a very close friend of the family and somebody I can always sort of call and sit down and have coffee with. And, you know, if I sit down with him every couple of months for two hours, that's, that's more than you know, getting a master's degree from Harvard for me because he's been at it for a long time. He's built one of the biggest institutions in the country. And, you know, he's somebody that's very practical and tells you as is. And if you could go anywhere else in Sub-Saharan Africa on a one-year sabbatical to learn and improve your business, where would you go and why? To be honest with you, I'm in Nairobi every, you know, four to six weeks. And for me, like I said earlier, I think Kenya is sort of an ideal destination for me. And I tell this to a lot of friends and family in terms of seeing where the future of Ethiopia is going to be. Because for me, the other markets is South Africa, which is so ahead of us that you might as well go to London to learn something. Uh, Ghana, maybe Nigeria, maybe. But for me, I'll be honest with you, if I took a year off, I spend all of it in Kenya. Mm. And can you give a specific example of something you've seen recently or something you learned in Nairobi that just really left an impression on you and you thought, oh, wow, you know, this is, you know, I can really learn from this and apply this to Ethiopia. You know, there's somebody's developed an app for a motorcycle riding ride share, sort of like, you know, neighborhood. There was an app developed, I think maybe it was in Kenya or Uganda, where, you know, women that are staying home would wash clothes for working professionals as an extra income. And all of it was run on an app. You know, these are like oh, cool. really practical. Yeah. Yeah. So these are like really practical examples of using technology to, you know, solve a solution and a problem in society. And for me, there's 95 million people in Ethiopia that could use technology to sort of 
improve their lives. And coming up with those solutions is sort of my next goal for the next five to 10 years. Mm. And two, because so many, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but so many Ethiopians are still, you know, living in rural areas. If you can develop something at scale through the mobile, you can start addressing a lot of issues of, yeah, improving education, healthcare. Yeah, it's really doing like creating a mobile first solution to a lot of problems that are in a country like Ethiopia, you know, it's, it's almost like the sky's the limit. Yeah, we haven't, I mean, not even scratched the surface. We haven't even gotten near it in terms of the potential. And I feel that the next couple of years, given the new government and the new policies and sort of process that's going to come through, it's going to unleash this giant that's, you know, sort of been sleeping for the last 50 years. So it's a fairly exciting time. I always tell people if I was to be born again, I want to be born an Ethiopian. And I double that right now because for the last 18 years, it's been, you know, hoping and praying this day would come and it is here. So it's very very exciting, you know, for all those people that said, you know, don't go to Ethiopia when I first moved here 18 years ago. So this is sort of like, phew, I made the right decision. <laughs> and if you had a billion dollars, which sector in Sub-Saharan Africa would you invest in? Fintech, obviously, because there's a huge unbacked population. Agriculture, because it's just going to be so much demand for food, not just in Africa, but the potential to export it outside. A bit of manufacturing, obviously, because there's, you know, our consumer base is growing. So there's going to be demands for products, obviously. FMCGs, you know, untouched. So we're still importing a lot of finished products. So huge potential for, you know, finishing products that we actually you know, produce here. So, I mean, it's just, it's endless. Mm. And what are the last couple books that left an impression on you? Steve Jobs' biographies, one I'm reading, I don't know who it is by, but The 4-Hour Week. I'm trying to manage my time based on reading that. And I think the third one will be Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom. I read it every five years or so just to sort of give myself sort of that energy. And if somebody can spend that much time in such a hard place and still come out that positive. So whenever I have those long, really nasty, bad days, I always refer back to that book to say, you know what, my life is not as bad. Oh, wow. Yeah, something that gives you perspective. Yeah. And if you could give one piece of actionable advice to an aspiring African entrepreneur, what would it be? If you have an idea or a goal that you want to go for, don't listen to anybody else but yourself. Hmm. You know, because there's going to be a lot of people that will sort of challenge you or be negative or not support you or whatever it is. But if you really 100% believe in it, I mean, nobody knows you better than you. Mm. So what if you have an important decision to make, what is your position on getting advice from others? For me, it's like you should always have, I always tell people, try to spend as much time with people that are smarter than you, more educated than you, or, or you know, have more resources than you, only because folks that are equal to you would not add value outside the social circle, especially That's if you're so talking about, professional, you know, if you're talking about professional skills or growing in business, you always have to be around people that are doing better than you in order to learn. Otherwise, you know, you're not learning anything because for, you know, for me, books only teach you so much. School only teaches you so much. I think life and the people around you are the most critical thing when it comes to learning. Hmm. And where can our listeners follow you on social media? I'm on Twitter. I actually live on Twitter. So at A-D-D-I-S-A-L-E on Twitter. You can always find me on that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Addis. It was really great to chat. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode of Young African Entrepreneur. But we can use your help in evolving this show through your feedback and suggestions. 
by engaging with us on social media at YAE Podcast. You can also visit yaepodcast.com for show notes, resources, and information on today's episode. That's yaepodcast.com. It's your time, your journey, your Africa, young African entrepreneur.